Welcome to Between the Bylines, a weekly podcast from the Boston University News Service, where we unpack must-read stories from the past week through the lens of student journalism. Hear how the stories were made from the writers and editors who made them. It's February 18th. I'm Hannah Harn. So, thank you everyone for joining me. This week we are in the studio with some of our wonderful contributors from our recent coverage of the New Hampshire primaries. We've got Jesse Dubin, Lauren Allen, and Nicholas McCool. So why don't you guys go around and take a second, give us a classic introduction, tell us who you are, what you study, and uh, what you covered in New Hampshire. So my name is Jesse Dubin, like Hannah said. Uh, I am currently a Master of Public Health student in the School of Public Health, but I'm taking a journalism and public health class, which is how I got involved. During the primaries, I went around downtown Manchester and interviewed several voters about who they voted for and why, and then later went up to the Amy Klobuchar headquarters and spoke with her supporters about why they were so excited about supporting Amy Klobuchar. Your year is fine, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that over again. Okay, you're good. My name is Lauren Allen, and I am a sophomore studying journalism with a concentration in photojournalism at the College of Communication here at Boston University. And I photographed Elizabeth Warren during the New Hampshire primary. And my name is Nick McCool. I'm a senior here in the College of Communication. I study journalism, specifically broadcast journalism, as well as political science over in the College of Arts and Sciences. And on the New Hampshire primary night, I was at the headquarters of Elizabeth Warren as well, shooting video for Bonds as well as BUTV10. Awesome. And you all know and love me dearly. I'm Hannah Harn. I am a senior here in Com as well, uh, studying journalism with a minor in Spanish. And during the primaries, I had the chance to visit Bernie Sanders headquarters and was doing a lot of audio work there, doing some audio and doing some writing um, and some general just experiencing of covering a primary because I've never had the chance to do that before. So that was really cool for me. So my first question for you guys is kind of just what I just answered for myself. Have you guys had any experience covering anything like that scale of political news before? So this is my first time doing journalism per se. Uh, that being what an introduction. Yeah, I really. <laughs> I know this journalism class is my very first formal introduction into journalism. That being said, though, I've been a political junkie and uh, very interested in politics and the way that the news covers politics for a number of years. So this is not my first go round in being aware of the primaries and, and following the primaries closely. But uh, this is my first time being directly involved and like behind those risers uh, at any primary headquarters covering. And um, to be more specific, I was, I was doing a lot of audio work as well. And so I produced a couple of postcards uh, based on my experience there. Okay, so I'm 20 years old and obviously like this is my first time covering a primary and anything political of this magnitude. But last semester, I covered the Boston City Council election for free, doing the same thing, going out and taking pictures at a city councilor's house. And that was a lot more intimate than the primary was and a lot less competitive for sure. But I definitely enjoyed the primary a lot more and it's very fitting to what I wanna do in the future. I wanna cover politics specifically Congress or the White House, and I'm really glad I got the opportunity to do that. So as far as politics is concerned, I've been involved for a long time being a political science major as well. Uh, I interned at Meet the Press this past summer, so I've been in the political sphere for quite some time now. 
and I've done coverage through BUTV10 of a number of different political events over the past three years. I've basically been a student political reporter for the entirety of the Trump administration, uh, which has been interesting to say the least. Uh, as far as a political rally, though, I have not been in one and serving as a reporter. So that was an interesting experience. Yeah, I was kind of, I'm kind of in a similar position. I've done a lot of stuff covering elections, like I covered the city council election last semester as well, um, and also a mayoral election when I was a sophomore. And But something of this scale and kind of being in a campaign headquarters like that, that was new to me. Um, so that was a really cool thing to experience and just to kind of be a part of, I guess. I mean, it was interesting because I don't know what your guys' situation was, but where I was sitting in Sanders headquarters was we were sitting in the media file space. And so I was sitting between, behind, in front of other quote unquote real reporters. And I, I say quote unquote because, you know, we are real reporters. Um, you know, we're going out and doing work for a real news organization. But, you know, quote unquote, people who are not still in college, I guess, people who are not still studying journalism. <laughs> and so it was really cool to kind of be in that environment and see how everyone else was doing things and then how we were doing things. Um, and just to to see how quickly everything moves in those situations was really awesome for me. So my question for you guys also is what was something that was unexpected for you over the course of that night? Well, I can't say that the result was unexpected. Yes, as I would far agree. As <laughs> Senator Warren was concerned. I think that one of the things that did surprise me and perhaps shouldn't have is the fact that Senator Warren was not willing to answer questions. Mm -hmm. She did one interview after her 45 to 60 minute selfie line where she came out onto the press risers she got hooked up with an ifb which is journalism parlance for an earpiece and she did an interview on cable to camera and she was obviously being interviewed by somebody on a split screen and then she took her ifb off walked down the risers and was rushed out of the rally area without answering any questions and there was a herd of reporters that were kind of following her away so that was an interesting experience because number one i you know i had my little notebook i wanted to ask some questions and as we all did and we didn't have an opportunity to do that i understand why she didn't want to ask answer questions but as somebody who is essentially uh interviewing for a promotion when you think about it you would think that she'd want to answer some questions. Yeah. That was just my thought. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that surprised me the most, not about the election itself, it was um, predominantly how respectful the other reporters were from the much bigger publications and how they treated me like I was their equal. Before I even started covering anything that night, I had a lot of time. I had about an hour and a half before Warren went up and I got kind of bounced around some of the really phenomenal photojournalists. I think someone from, a volunteer from Warren's campaign saw me and she picked up on kind of my fear and my anxiety and how like young I looked. And she kept coming up to me and then pulling me to other people and being like, I think you would like to meet this person and then I would. 
and they would talk to me and they would show me their pictures and it was really cool and they would start giving me tips. Uh, one photojournalist I talked to, her name was Melina Mara and she's from the Washington Post and she talked to me for a really long time and showed me all the pictures she got earlier that day and gave me her card and then gave me a hug and I was so like surprised and shocked but like also really excited. Um, and while we were actually photographing Warren when she was giving her speech, she would like adjust my camera for me or like kind of position me with her hands if she knew I looked a little lost and I thought that was really cool. And then another thing um, during the speech, a lot of the photographers were very cognizant of where they were standing and they were always trying to make sure they weren't in someone's way and that's what wasn't what I was expecting at all because I was expecting kind of like paparazzi pushing in front of each other to get the shot, but they were really cool and they always made sure to like look where they were walking or look where their heads were positioned. And I tried to do the same. Awesome. So I think for me, what was most surprising was how, at least at the headquarters, how willing everybody was to speak to me. Uh, like the supporters were willing to speak to this reporter. And I guess like because there was such a heavy media presence, they kind of had to expect that like they might be approached by a reporter to to give their comment. But what was, I guess, more surprising was how comfortable they all were. Um, and I think that comfort really allowed them to really get into like why they were there. Why? I mean, they were also just excited. It was, it was a high energy moment. I remember I was at Klobuchar's headquarters. And so she was doing really well at the New Hampshire primaries. And it, it put everybody there in a good mood. Um, and so people were very willing to share. But what was really interesting to me was that over the course of everybody that I interviewed that night, really nobody mentioned any policy. There was zero policy talk. It was all about her ability, like her perceived ability to win, um, how they viewed her as like somebody who can unite people. Um, it, it was more about character and strength, but not really getting into the details, which was to me a high contrast to somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who like her whole thing is she has a plan for everything. And so like what gets people excited would be I would imagine slightly different, but um, yeah, it, it was really interesting. It was all about like her character, her ability to fight, her ability to win, um, come the general. Yeah, awesome. So Jesse, as somebody who's not done a ton of reporting before, what would you say you learned from this going into you know future reporting endeavors? Just go up and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the, <laughs> that's the biggest barrier, right? Because I'm once I get started talking with people. I'm very comfortable. I I am a big talker, um, but there's always this dialogue that's going on in my head. It's like, I, like, can I actually go up and talk to this person? Like, is is that acceptable? Is that socially appropriate? Like, there are so many ways that I think we've been socialized to not approach people. And maybe this is me coming from the Northeast. So I'm from New Jersey originally, um, then went to undergrad in Pittsburgh. Um, and I feel like you really see that you know, as like a Northeast like slash New York slash New England mentality of like, you kind of keep to yourself. Whereas it would be slightly different if I grew up in the South or something like that, where it's it's just a part of the culture to greet people on the street. But I grew up where it's like, you give people their space and like, that's a sign of respect. And so to me, like going up and approaching people, 
um, like the moment right before I start talking with them was like the hardest moment to overcome. Um, and then I think the second biggest thing that I learned was how easy it is to talk to people when you're in the role of a journalist. And what I mean by that is, so, okay, we've got, we've gotten past the, um, we've gotten past the, the barrier of like opening up the conversation and now we're talking to them. But like, if I were civilian Jesse, or if I were like internet Jesse, right? Like it'd be much, it'd be a much different conversation. It'd be much more of like an engaging dialogue where like they're making a point. Maybe I counter that point. Maybe I'm like, you know, it, it, it's, whereas when I was interviewing somebody, like I would definitely engage and like push back if I felt like it, it needed just a little bit of like, what do you mean by that? Like I wouldn't just like let somebody say something and have that be the end of it per se. But it, it, it was a different kind of context where it's just like you're trying to get them to speak and you're just listing their answers and like you're clarifying, you're pushing back as necessary, but you're not engaging in like a back and forth discussion per se, while at the same time, you're you're still having like a meaningful human experience. So like, I don't want to sanitize it so much as like, oh, you're just getting them, you know, to speak their answer as opposed to write their answer or whatever. Like it's still like an intimate human experience, but it's very different than like two civilians talking. Yeah, it's and I totally see what you're saying. It's It's not necessarily a contrived conversation, but it's not a conversation in its purest form. And I get what you're saying that that's actually a little bit more comfortable than trying to make small talk because it's a conversation for a very specific purpose. You're in control of what's going on. And when you don't want to talk to them anymore or you feel as though you have what you need, you can just say, thanks for your time. We have what we need. Enjoy the rally. As opposed to, so how about them Red Sox? You know, you don't yeah. need to, you don't need to force it. Well, even more than that, like, so at the Klobuchar headquarters, there was somebody who that day had voted for Trump. Um, he's a registered Republican, and he voted for Trump that day, but he was excited about Amy Klobuchar. And he was there, and he was like, if I vote for a Democrat, I'm going to vote for Amy Klobuchar. Because to him, voting for a Democrat was not a foregone conclusion. Like, it wasn't he was a Republican and only ever could potentially see him voting for a, a Republican. Um, and so... But because of his worldview, you know, there were some things that he said that, like, if I were, you know, his friend and engaging in, like, a full conversation with him, I'd be like, what do you mean? What are you saying by this? Like, this is not necessarily something that I agree with. Whereas, like, as a journalist, because it didn't pertain to the topic of the conversation, I just kind of let it slide. Yeah, I would say that. If there's something you disagree with that you want to follow up on because you disagree with it, you do have to let that slide. But somebody voting for Trump and then attending excitedly an Amy Klobuchar rally, oh, yeah. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was super interesting. And I had, I mean, we had a really good at length conversation about that fact. Did you work him into your reporting? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I could not let this character slide. I remember listening to your postcard and being kind of like taken aback by that and being like, that's interesting. Especially because I was in a kind of a similar situation when I started going out. We decided not to go to, I was with 
Tian Nguyen and Megan House, both photographers, and we decided not to go to a polling station. We were just kind of like, let's just wander around Elm Street and see what happens. And we eventually had decided that we were going to go to a grocery store because we heard, like, I think it was Megan had said that she had heard that those are a good place to go look for people to talk to because people are just, you know, in their natural habitat in the grocery store. Um, at least I am. Uh, <laughs> and we ended up walking by this cigar shop. And mm. we walked by like three times because we couldn't decide if we were going to go in. And I kind of eventually just kind of put my head down and I was like, we're going in. And we kind of stuck our heads in the door and we said, excuse me, gentlemen, there's this group of four guys sitting up at the front. We said, excuse me, gentlemen, we would love to pick your brains for a bit. So we did. And we went in and they definitely had opinions that were different than ours. But it was such an interesting conversation to have. What do you have. mean by that? So one of them was talking about, so basically when we walked in, we were like, so like what brings you guys up from, because three of them were from Massachusetts. And so we were kind of like, so what brings you guys up to Manchester for the primaries. And one of the gentlemen said explicitly, oh, we're here to watch the uh, the Democrats commit harakiri, which is the act of Japanese ritual suicide. So we were just kind of like, oh, okay, like that's hysterical. He pulled that reference at the beginning of the conversation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Wow. First, like one of the second or third impressed. things out of his mouth. It was hysterical. And um, it was just really interesting to hear, you know, to talk to them. Like one guy was sitting there with a Make America Great Again hat on. And, and two of the guys were actually from Eastern Europe. One was from East Berlin before the wall fell, and the other was from Hungary. And so they kind of got on the subject of – I was talking to them a little about how watching this process, given the environments that they grew up in. It's a very different you know, form of government in East Berlin and in Hungary at the time. And to, to hear their experiences and to hear them talk about how, yeah, they grew up in socialist, communist environments and now cannot support you know, somebody who's – commonly labeled as a socialist because of what their experiences were. It was just so interesting. And, you know, also just for, given my, you know, some of my past experiences with more conservative people, they can be very aggressive with journalists. But these guys were some of the nicest people I have ever met. They were like, yeah, come in, sit down, have a conversation with us. Sure, we don't mind if you record. Oh, like, do you need space? Like, do you need to move over? Like, they were awesome. And they were just, we were kind of all three of us were a little bit surprised how welcoming they were um, and how excited they were to talk to us. And so it was just really cool. It was a cool environment to be in, and they were super candid as well. You know, I didn't – they weren't like, well, I wouldn't – they were like, no, you know, this is my opinion, and, you know, here you go. And, you know, it was also cool because at one point they turned around and were asking us questions about our own experiences and about our own, you know, at one point I had said, so what are you guys expecting going forward? You know, what do you guys think for the future? And they answered and they said, well, what about you? Like, what do you think is going to happen? You know, what do you want for your future? Um, so it was kind of cool. Uh, and it was just, it was a unique experience. And, you know, my jacket and my sweater still smell like cigar smoke, <laughs> like a lot, but it was That's so That's called a souvenir, it. Hannah. That's called a souvenir. And it was such a great experience to have that opportunity to kind of get out of the echo chamber a little bit. And I had a very similar experience because the night before the primary, I went up with um, one of my colleagues from uh, TV newsroom, Chloe Hudson, and we did a report for BU News Service on the Trump rally the night before. And we were not able to get into the SNHU arena because it was absolutely mobbed. The yeah. police had cut off the main viewing party outside. So we were relegated to the crowd across the street and the blocked off uh, roadway. 
and walking around in a full suit. I was dressed for TV, so I was in hair, makeup, and a full suit, and as was Chloe. She wasn't wearing a suit, but she was dressed for air. We were trotting around camera bags, a tripod, a Sony X70, and a microphone with a mic flag, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, as somebody who is unabashedly a member of the media amongst Trump supporters, we all know how the president feels about the press, and I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect. This was one of my first interactions as a reporter with members of Trump's constituency, with his supporters. And what I found was people who were incredibly warm, incredibly kind, willing to talk to me, happy to be to be on camera. And I and Chloe were shocked. We didn't even know what to say. It was incredible. And really, I, I almost felt a little ashamed of myself because mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I have made assumptions about these people, and those yeah. assumptions were very wrong. Now, that's not to say that every Trump supporter supports the media uh, or is would be kind to a journalist if they encountered him. There was one gentleman who we had, a, fr quite frankly, an awkward and downright strange exchange with, but the vast majority, in fact, everyone else except for that one gentleman, we had a very kind interaction with. And... From my perspective, that was really a teachable moment for me and really taught me the lesson of not believing your assumptions about people. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is also prior, prior experience a little bit, because I've definitely had negative experiences with people in the past as a journalist, um, sometimes unfortunately reaching aggression. And it's very, it makes it very hard to want to go out and do it again. Um, Kind of like you were saying, Jesse, earlier, getting over that initial fear of like the first conversation or that first introduction, um, or sometimes it's like picking up the phone to make a call is so much and it can be really overwhelming. But, you know, when you are willing to take the risk, it it really does pay off. Um, and I personally, like, I feel like a lot of our coverage, especially, you know, our coverage from the Trump rally and our coverage the, you know, the story, I'm biased, the story I did about, you know, from the cigar shop, you know, those are really unique stories um, that I think are also a unique opportunity as student students who are journalists. Um, you know, we have those opportunities to focus on that. We don't have, you know, an editor breathing down our neck saying, why are you there? Um, so it was kind of a really cool, cool situation to be in. And I, yeah. And if I could just add to that, I think that we do have a responsibility as reporters to show people who may have preconceptions about journalists that we're not mm -hmm. all spin doctors, we're not all evil, we're not all enemies of the people, as has been alleged by the commander-in-chief. And I think that there was one interaction, again, that I was a little bit ashamed of myself after because I had asked this one gentleman if I could film he and his two sons for B-roll, which, in case you're not familiar with the term, is essentially just coverage footage so that we can put a voiceover mm -hmm. under that footage and explain some of what was going on. So I had asked him. He had consented to have he and his two sons on camera. I had just finished filming them, and the president, who was being streamed on a jumbotron across the street that they were watching, made a comment about how the press doesn't even show the crowd. Literally, as I had finished filming yeah. three members of the crowd. So I made a comment, which I should not have done, to him and said, well, not all of us don't. 
and he didn't react. You know, I don't, I don't think he necessarily took it poorly. I'm actually not even entirely sure he heard me. But I thought to myself, yeah, that wasn't necessary. You know, that was not, that was uncalled for. Um, so if, if I would have the opportunity, I would apologize. I don't think I offended him. I don't get the impression that I did. But it, it's another one of those situations where we need to represent ourselves as people who are not villains and who are not out to get people, especially people who you're just asking on the street for a comment mm -hmm. because they're not public officials. They're not in a position where they should be necessarily held accountable for every single thing that they say to a journalist because they're not supposed to be polished. They're voters. They're not asking for our vote. So I think that we do have a responsibility to give people the benefit of the doubt, even if there's fear in our hearts about what they might say. Well, and I think part of that is also just kind of keeping in mind everybody's humanity, right? Like, yeah. Sure. I mean, how do I want to phrase this? Like, every person is a human being, right? That doesn't mean we need to treat their ideas in the same way, right? That, like, if their ideas further dehumanize other people, like, those ideas need don't need to be given equal airtime as as other like a difference of opinion is not always the same right um but the person who holds that belief still deserves to be treated with a degree of respect sure um yeah. and i i think if like that's kind of what grounds me so so remember i come from a public health background and so i'm i'm still used to interviewing people um but it's a very specific kind of interview it's a very specific kind of interaction and right. and my philosophy around public health is centered around that core bit of humanity um, and and that's how I kind of approach people like people are the experts of their own human experience and I think if I bring that into journalism that'll be really healthy yeah fair enough do you want to jump in or are you good oh I think as a photographer I have the luxury of not immediately making people mad and uncomfortable it might also be age and yeah. um, the fact that i look very non-threatening <laughs> <laughs> but i think my experiences with people have been overwhelmingly positive and i think i i try to take pictures of people at their highest moments oftentimes the only time i've had any sort of like discourse was because of a, a misunderstanding, and that was um, Freep ran an article last week about people who were opposing bills in Massachusetts that concerned vaccinations and mandatory vaccinations, and I had taken pictures for that article, and a few days later, I started, get I started getting put on blast on Twitter, um, asking me why my reporting was so biased, uh, that I said I was going to be very fair uh, in what I wrote and all this other sort of stuff that I was completely unaware of because I had never talked to any of the protesters mm -hmm. because I shot them from across the street yeah. uh, at the Boston Common there at the State House. And I had to keep telling people, hey, there's a difference between a byline and a caption <laughs> for yeah. a photo. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't write anything. If you have a problem please direct that at the reporter if you have a problem with the caption or the photos you can direct that at me that's completely fine and i'll listen 
but aside from that i really can't help you yeah and if i could just make one last comment in fairness returning to the trump rally i have to say in fairness my hit rate for people who were willing to be interviewed willing to talk on camera was higher at the trump rally than it was at senator warren's headquarters i just have to say that in fairness to the trump supporters yeah and i and i found that particularly surprising as well in my ignorance yeah lauren could you speak more on what you meant when you said um you try to capture people at their high points yeah yeah i feel like (sighs) that's tricky i just i go in with like i guess particularly because like i'm not the most photogenic and i'm so used to having people take like really bad, not thought out photos of me that I try to get people when they're smiling, when they look natural, not when they look like they're full. (laughs) Hmm. I might have to think about that one a little more. Well, I definitely feel that. I mean, when I... Yeah, it's like, it's easy to say, but it's Mm -hmm. not... Like, it's easy to say that and then, like, walk away from it, but mm-hmm. to actually put it into words. Like, as a photographer, like, I I know. Like, I see something and I know. That's a like, shot. Yeah, and they'll probably be proud of themselves when yeah. they see this. But to to put that into words is a little tricky. I think you're, you're just trying to represent them in their best light mm-hmm. and not take their appearance out of context. Because if you... Let's say you're filming somebody for the course of one sentence. The way that their face frames the words, if you stop a frame at a certain point, you can make them look drunk, high, sleepy, asleep. I mean, there are a number of different ways you can manipulate footage in film to make them look better or worse. So and, you're and just choosing not to misrepresent them. We, we see that with different representations of the president like depending on right absolutely what they're trying to say about the president like there are some really non-flattering shots that are constantly used by left-leaning to like specifically left-wing news sites or or opinion sites right um those are chosen on purpose right Um, minimum of two to three chins yeah absolutely um clear distinction between the tan and the not tan (laughs) yeah it's really i mean it's very purposeful whereas Like, I think what you're describing, that would not be at the high point of, or, or, yeah, that that would not be the high point of a photographer's choices. And and in in fairness, there are sometimes occasions where right-wing news media will portray the president looking like he's participating in a reenactment of the crossing of the Delaware, but, (laughs) you know, it goes both ways, but I completely take your point. I think... Another thing that's interesting to watch in terms of photography and it just in terms of journalism in general is, and I think I have a much better idea of this now that I've sat on this side of the journalistic table, for lack of a better word, um, to see, to go through the process of, you know, in writing and in audio, what quotes you pick, what moments you pick. Um, And there are times where it's like I pick X quote over Y quote because it just aligns a lot more with my angle and what I'm trying to write about. Because like the first half of this whole paragraph that they said was not like relevant at all to what I'm writing about. So, but this chunk is. And then there are times where you're having a conversation with somebody and particularly with audio and they say something or it's the way they say it Mm. that really just catches you. Um, 
And you, I've there was a couple of times, a couple of the things I included in my story from the cigar shop from, from Castro's back room were moments that I felt emotional when I was listening to them or that they were getting emotional or that one person jumped in and started interrupting to, to jump in on the conversation too. And, you know, at the, in that moment when you're sitting there in the middle of these four men and you have to like keep turning around because they're sitting in a circle, you know, those moments where you just immediately need to have your mic on them. Those are moments that I love um, because you know something good's about to happen. And I kind of feel like that as well is, is kind of what you're saying is there's a moment. It's, it's not, sometimes it's not even that person's best moment per se. It's a moment that really captures who they are and how they're feeling. Cause like I've taken photos of people crying or really upset or just being contemplative and they're not necessarily these beautiful, like in intense, Everest peaking moments, but they are very important because it's really captures the emotion of that moment as well. Yeah, I think on that note, I would rephrase and maybe say that it's not their best moments that I'm trying to capture, but it's authenticity and trying to do them justice in whatever they're mm -hmm. feeling at that moment. Mm -hmm. I think photographers, we like to kind of think that we're working with an unbiased platform when that's really not the case. And I yeah. think kind of internalizing the fact that you have your own biases as someone with like a creative vision and someone who wants to tell the best story, even if it's not the truest story. I think keeping all of that in mind and keeping authenticity in mind, uh, it's those moments where people are like really being true to themselves and true to how they're feeling at that time that you want to capture. And that's what I really tried to capture, um, both at the primary and in like anything that I do. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting to me coming from a background where I'm very used to like writing papers and pulling quotes, uh, for those papers. The, choosing the quotes for these audio postcards was a very different experience because if I were to write out the transcript, and, and we see this in discussion about the president actually too, it's like if you were to read a transcript of what he says, but not take into account with how he said it, like the meanings are completely different. Mm. Um, so, so choosing quotes for this audio postcard, like text-wise, perhaps there were like better quotes out there, but the te but the emotion behind that text wasn't as moving as some some quotes that um, perhaps weren't as weren't worded as eloquently or whatever, but just the emphasis behind what this person was saying, like going back to that that Trump voter who was at the Klobuchar headquarters, when I asked him like why he was at the headquarters, uh, he was referencing the <clears throat> excuse me, the the debate, and he said, she's a fighter she's a fighter. He was like, I needed that. I was looking for that. Awesome. Great. So another question I had for you guys is what were some of the hardest and easiest moments of the primary night as a reporter? I guess one of the easiest moments was getting people to agree to have their picture taken, as dumb as it sounds. Mm -hmm. Like I was really worried going into there about getting good shots and people not wanting me to publish them. But a lot of people were very, very willing and very happy. And I think it's because the people who were there were so proud of what they were supporting, who they were supporting. And I think one of the most difficult things of that night, it was trying to get the shots that other photographers weren't getting. 
So like looking at where people were standing, what they were paying attention to, um, what they weren't choosing to shoot. A lot of photographers chose not to shoot Warren while she was doing her, her selfie line. And I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity because what she was doing there was having very mean- meaningful, albeit quick interactions. And the amount of emotion that she displays in two second, three second interactions with her supporters is incredible. And it made for a lot of really unique, really amazing shots. Great. So I would say that one of the hardest things for me, and perhaps as a photojournalist, you will understand this, is that when you're in a situation like this, where the narrative and the event is fast paced, you're looking for the money shot. You're looking for what everybody is expecting you to come home with. But when you are developing a story, a video story, a photo story, you're also looking for color. You're looking for the candid moments. You're looking for the small details no one else sees. And what I found was actually a darth of shootable content because you would think that a campaign rally or a headquarters for Manchester would be rife with visual storytelling opportunity. And what I found was that that really was largely not the case. And, you know, there was a crowd there. Senator Warren obviously was speaking. She was taking uh, photos in the selfie line with some of her supporters. But in large part, that was the only interesting visual thing going on. Whereas if I was at an event, um, in in some other capacity, there may have been other stuff going on that I would have been able to take video of, and I could use that as B-roll, or again, just coverage photo or footage for for folks who don't um, know that term. That there wasn't really that much of it there, and I found that a little bit frustrating. I understand the reason, but I think that that was a challenge I did not anticipate having at the campaign headquarters for Senator Elizabeth Warren. And why do you think that was so hard for you? Do you think it would have changed if you were at a different headquarters, like Bernie or Klobuchar, or do you think it was something specifically? I'm not entirely sure, because I've only been to Warren's headquarters. I think that it may be something that's a little bit more indicative of the type of setting. So for most journalists, you're not necessarily doing a story where you're developing a full news package about that situation you're doing a live hit you got a couple clips of what she said a few interviews with folks who were there and that's pretty much it it's not a story where you would need to provide a lot of video coverage for voiceovers and that kind of thing you're probably just going to be talking over it in a satellite conversation with the anchors so from that perspective i understand why it wasn't you know dripping with visual content but it it still was you know i think something that's more indicative of the general environment. I think the easiest and the most difficult thing for me stem from the same situation, talking with people. Um, the easy part was the actual talking with them. And you know, once they agreed to be recorded, which by and large was not an issue, um, you know, just having that conversation and, ha- and, and getting them to expand on their ideas and, you know, that was actually very easy in my mind. The hard part was when I was at home and doing the editing and getting the clips. Um, 
you know, we already talked about that balance between text and eloquence of, of words and the emotion behind the words. But if you have a really good conversation, it's just packed with like clips and clips and you want to include everything and you just cannot. Um, so the hard part was the cutting, um, the, the cutting around the clips to get what you really needed for the spot. Now, I think I was really lucky in that I was like, my assignment was to do audio postcards. And so I just have extended clips. Um, I, I was very fortunate that I was able to really have people talk 10 to 30 seconds at a time. You know, that, I think that's just a luxury. <laughs> um, and I didn't have to get them to say like five words. It was, you know, they got to say an entire idea, but even still with that, like I, there was so much material on the cutting room floor um, that it, that was hard. Like, what do I choose? What is the most important? What is the most interesting part of what I covered? There's definitely an element of murdering your darlings um, in mm -hmm. what we do. Yeah. And I found that as well. What I would say just to, in, in, in the future, this is one thing that I've learned and been taught is that similar to a photojournalist or a, a videographer kind of looking for those moments that spark and show you what this event and this person mean. When, when you're listening to somebody, sometimes what will happen, and this happened to me when I was talking to a gentleman at the Warren camp, um, where their quote just sings. So for instance, I was talking to this one guy and I had asked him a question and he said, I just want her to win. I want her to win for my granddaughters. And I thought to myself, yep, yeah, this is going to the piece. And I just asked him why. And he said, because their future is what's at stake in this race. And I knew that's going in. There's no way that's not going in. It's an emotional moment. It was fast. I was able to cut out the little chunk where I asked the follow-up question. But what I found is it's always helpful to just be thinking about your story as you're talking to people. Think, what do I need? What do I need them to say? What, what question do I need to ask to give me the answer that will work in my story? And that's, that's what I found is helpful. The only other thing I would say is what I found, especially at the Trump rally, is that when you're trying to get interviews, if you're having trouble, put the cameras away. Put the microphone down, leave them behind. Go walk up to them as a person first and just say, hey, my name's Nick. I'm with BU News Service. Do you have a minute? We just want to talk to you about why you support the president. Is that okay? All right, we're going to bring the camera over. We're going to set this up. Do you mind standing there? I'm going to turn this light on. It's going to be bright. Don't look at it. Is that okay? Is that too bright? And just walk them through it. And it doesn't sound like you had issues. This is more for people listening. Oh, if yeah. you've ever had issues, but yeah. When I approached people, like I had the microphone in my hand, but yeah. it was down. Yeah. Like it, it was rolling, but it was down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I approached them like, hi, you know, I'm a, I'm a student journalist and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then when they agreed to be recorded, I was like, okay, cool. Bum. Yeah. I think that going in as a person is a really big part of it. Like when I went to the cigar shop, I didn't even have my recorder out at first. I had it in my backpack just because I wanted to quite literally vibe check them first. <laughs> I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to like go in with it because I felt like that'd be coming on really strong. And, and, and Megan and Tian also, it's just uncourteous. It's just like awkward. It's yeah. weird. It's uncomfortable. And it's, it's a little rude. You're right. So that's a big part of it. So what would you guys say? would be some last words of advice you'd give to the next people who are covering the New Hampshire primaries. 
I just gave some. <laughs> so you gave some, so you can you can skip I'm this off one the hook. if you want. The only other thing I would say is don't make assumptions mm -hmm. because I made some serious assumptions about the people I was covering. That was wrong of me, and I apologize for it, and I learned my lesson. So to counter your point a little bit. Which one? Uh, the one about thinking about like which quotes you want to elicit sure. from your interviewee. Mm -hmm. Also be open, though. Yeah, um, because you just never know what they're going to say, um, and so don't be so so married to the idea of a of a story or a quote that you're trying to get somebody to say something. Because one, you don't want to run into the world of being unethical and like soliciting an, a specific answer in the in the way that they've said it, and also if you go in with too strong of a concept of what you want or what you need, you're limiting yourself to what they might actually say. And and I would say just be open to letting the interview go in some fun directions. Um, so bank in that time so that way you can do that. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not trying to say break your ethics or you oh, know, no, no, put, no, know put words in people's mouths. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, you know, I, I, I just feel as though if you have a certain side of a story that you want to cover and you want to get people's reactions on a certain thing, that's something that you want to be thinking about as you're asking questions or the kind of emotion that you want to bring out of people that you know will get you better quotes, that you know will get you a better story. But I absolutely agree that if somebody comes up with something interesting, go with it. It's, it's like, I saw this quote by Jack Nicholson. I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something to the effect of, if you feel something in a scene, no matter how weird it is, go with it. Because if it's good, it makes the movie and it's something no one ever thought of. If it's not good, take two. It's generally not live. And even if it is, it's probably going to be more interesting than what you had planned. So absolutely, yes and the heck out of people, but you know, I'll also make sure you're getting what you need. I, I think my advice specifically for other photographers going into an event like the primary, after you've gotten the shots that you know you need to get for your story, like the person coming out and waving, the person at their podium, the person leaving, don't be afraid to look for the creative shot. And I touched on that earlier. Don't be afraid to do what other people aren't doing because that doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to be doing. Really look at the situation from a different perspective and get some shots that'll actually make you stand out from other people because those are the ones that people are going to be seeing in your portfolio and they're going to be like, wow, this person really knows what's going on because if you can get creative and you can get shots of a figure like Elizabeth Warren that people haven't necessarily seen before that's what's going to make you stand out and they know that you can do incredible things under pressure because the amount of pressure that you feel at an event like that is incredible and it goes by so fast and you have way less time than you think you have 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining me this week. Uh, that is it for this week's episode of Between the Bylines. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we will see you next week. For the full versions of Nick, Lauren, and Jesse's coverage, don't forget to visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. And don't forget to visit us at our pitch meeting on Monday in B in the basement of Com um, at 6 p.m. in the Buns editorial office. We'd like to thank our guests today, Nick McCool, Lauren Alice, and Jesse Dubin, uh, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Between the Bylines was produced by me, Hannah Harn. And be sure to check out our latest episode of Friday Five, where we fill you in on the latest news from Boston and beyond. Visit us at bunewsservice.com slash podcast for more information.